Welcome to the 16th episode of Dialika. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan, and my partner in crime, Swedian Lee, is not here this week, nor the next two months, because he's fighting the good fight in the USA for the Hillary campaign. And we're going to have a series of very special people coming on the podcast to talk about women's issues, politics, etc. in the future. And this week, we have a very special guest, Kate Walton. Hi, Stephanie. Kate is the founder of Jakarta Feminist Discussion Group as well as the Facebook page Menghitung Pembunuhan Perempuan, Counting Dead Women. So we're going to talk about that, but also about an update on our previous episode, Yuyun's case, where a young girl was raped and murdered. And Menghitung Pembunuhan Perempuan actually helped bring that to the spotlight in the national and international media. And so we're going to talk to her in this episode about that, as well as Donald Trump's sexual assault comments and actions and how all of this is ultimately a larger part of rape culture. In that, we're going to talk about sexual assault, street harassment, and in general, we're going to talk about these in the context of rape culture as a triangle with many facets and levels of lack of care of a woman's bodily autonomy. So, here's to it. introduce yourself. Thanks for having me on, Stephanie. Um, yeah, I'm Kate. Uh, I'm Australian. I've been <laughs> living in Indonesia for the last five years, most of that in Jakarta. Um, I, I do work here, but it's uh, irrelevant to what we'll be discussing today, what I do. Um, but I identify as a queer feminist activist. Awesome. And Kate is also the founder of Menghitung Pemunuhan Perempuan. I call it counting dead women because that's what, it doesn't translate perfectly into Indonesian, but that's what the English language projects overseas are called. So I call it counting dead women in Indonesia. Menghitung Pemunuhan Perempuan specifically counts women who were killed by their, usually their partners, and oftentimes without meeting justice. That's right. Do you want to talk about how Menghitung Pemunuhan Perempuan started and um, your experiences doing that? So there were really two reasons behind the starting of Menghitung Pemunuhan Perempuan, which, as we said, means counting dead women. The first was uh, a work-related project. Um, We have some work related to gender-based violence in Papua, uh, and a colleague and I were interested in seeing how many women were actually being murdered or um, being sexually assaulted also Mm -hmm. by men in Papua, but also more broadly across Indonesia. Yes. Um, So we started to look at newspapers and and get a bit of an idea of what was going on. Mm -hmm. The second reason was that um, as an Australian, we have a serious problem of violence against women in Australia also. Mm-hmm. And there have been a number of journalists in the last few years who have been focusing solely on reporting about violence against women. Yeah. And there was one journalist in particular called Jess Hill mm-hmm. who reported only on violence against women for a whole year. That was, that was her whole project. the only thing that she wrote about. The only thing. Yeah. Um, Clearly not good for her mental health. No, probably not. And so there was that, plus there was a project called Counting Dead Women Australia, which Mm -hmm. was done by a group called Destroy the Joint. Mm -hmm. 
um, and a group of feminists who wanted to highlight the issue of violence against women in Australia. So those two things combined actually led to some serious policy changes throughout Australia broadly, but particularly um, in Victoria. There was Mm -hmm. a very uh, progressive premier there who Mm -hmm. was leading a lot of changes. And I saw the impact that had and I thought, well, you know, I think Indonesia could probably do with something like that. And as far as I was aware... Uh, no one else was no, doing it. No, no one was. Komnas Perempuan, as much great work as they do, would record only cases of violence that are reported to them. They don't yeah. look at the number of women who are murdered, which is obviously much the peak yeah. of violence against women. Yeah. So I thought, well, why not me? Yeah, and one of the most well-known cases of Mengitong Punan Perempuan. We actually talked about it in episode 6 and 7. Nyala Untuk Yun and Mam Boo for Rapist, if you want to have a listen. It's a case where there was a young girl, Yu Yun, who was 14 years old in Bengkulu, Sumatra, that was brutally raped and murdered by 14 young boys. Um, between the age of 14 and 23. This was not getting much attention at all in the press. And then Kate, among other activists, brought this into the spotlight. I mean, this is not unusual, unfortunately. This is not unusual. There are so many cases like this that we just don't know about. And the only reason I found out about this case was because I have this Manghetung Pemburuhan Perempuan project. How exactly did you help you know, spread the news on this? Like, what were the mechanisms? And like, what if, you know, there's another young activist listening, what can they do to do something about an injustice they see happening? So initially, um, I didn't really have any grand plans. Yeah. I found the case and I was so horrified because I hadn't heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, being an activist in Jakarta, we yeah. have a very wide network mm-hmm. and I would have thought, surely... I would have heard about it. Like, someone would have heard about it. So I realized there'd been a big disconnect. Yeah, Yeah, a big gap. And some friends and I started having a bit of a discussion about Mm -hmm. what to do about it. Um, And before we'd really made any uh, decisions, um, Mm -hmm. Kartika from Kartika and the Dissidents, Mm -hmm. uh, she started posting on Instagram and Facebook using this hashtag, Nyala Untuk Yoyun, which Mm -hmm. means light a candle for Yoyun. And overnight it kind of exploded and became yeah. a bit of a movement. The next day we thought, right, we better actually set up a bit of a yeah. media plan for this. Yeah. And I started contacting journalists, yeah. basically. I started contacting my friends who work as journalists mm-hmm. here and saying, hey, did you hear about this? This mm-hmm. is really important. You should look into it. Yeah. But the key thing was to link it into that broader picture Yeah. by saying, yes, this is an extreme case mm-hmm. um, and we should be reporting on it anyway because it's horrific. Yeah. But It's a big part of a bigger picture. So if you look at it in that broader sense, this is why we should be reporting on it. And many Indonesian journalists responded really well to that and said, yes, we agree, this is an issue. The interesting thing was the international journalists Mm. who I thought would be interested in the case because, as I said, it's extreme example, 14-year-old girl gang-raped and murdered by 14 boys and men. Mm I thought they'd be interested because it, in some ways it reflected what happened to Jyoti Singh. Yes, in India. In India. Um, you know, she was also raped and, and mm-hmm. left for dead on the side yeah. of the road. And it caused this huge... Uproar. Yeah, uproar. This movement in India and yeah. caused a lot of political changes. So yeah. that's really what I was getting f- towards at that point. Was. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, you know, I contacted him and they all said, 
It's a bit local. It's a bit small. It's not part of a bigger problem. And I said, no, you're wrong. It is part of a bigger problem, not just in Indonesia, but Mm. globally. Look at Jyoti Singh. And when I started saying, Mm -hmm. look at what happened there and look at the way the media reacted and what it led to, I said, this is what you guys have to do. Mm -hmm. And they sort of put it on the back burner. So I have to shout out to Coconuts and Mm -hmm. to Mm Rappler, who were really the first local media outlets who started Mm -hmm. talking about it. And then it started spreading. And it started moving within the Indonesian sphere. We Mm -hmm. got on the front page of Kompas Mm -hmm. after only three days of uh, advocacy. Then Jokowi made a statement about it. Uh, which I flipped out over because yeah. I was like, oh, my God, we've reached Jokowi. Yeah. And then the international media started picking yeah, once it up. Jok- President Jokowi started to talk about it and say how that's not right, then the international New York Times now found it. Exactly. Oh, now it. it's an international issue. Because Jokowi said something about it. Yeah. One thing that did happen was the execution of one of the supposed gang leaders of Yuyun. Well, he hasn't been executed yet, but he has been sentenced to death. Yeah. yeah. And how do you feel about that? Not great. <laughs> um, as one of the people who really pushed this issue into the national spotlight, you I feel like conflicted. About I it? do. I feel guilty because it almost feels like there will be blood on my hands if he is executed further down the road because. You know, we pushed this case and pushed for action. And this is not what you wanted. No, it's not what we wanted. I don't want anyone killed for it. I would like to see them punished, definitely. And uh, on one hand, I'm glad that the system has reacted and has done what it's supposed to have done in punishing these men and boys, because we have to remember some of them were 13, 14 years old. Which is part of the absurdity of the case. Definitely. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't been the result that we yeah. wanted. I, I don't want to see people killed. Yeah, because over I, it. I don't know about you, but my personal position on death penalties, I don't believe in the death penalty. Yes, yeah, I don't believe in that that would result in any kind of deterrence. And I am suspicious about, you know, the whole fact that they tried him and then, you know, putting the death penalty on him as a show to somehow appease the activists, like, oh, the government has done something. And it doesn't really push us as a country to try solve our bigger rape cultural problem in our society. Exactly. So we mentioned rape culture and this whole pervasiveness of violence towards women, but we also want to talk about specifically about what rape culture is. So what is rape culture? Rape culture is essentially beliefs and actions in which there's a hierarchy of abuse and a hierarchy of how violence and sex are intertwined with each other and are considered part of the woman experience um so as a woman you kind of expect that there will be a continuum of violence that is addressed to you so at the lower end of the spectrum that would be sexist homophobic transphobic and rapish jokes and you know objectification and then you have traditional gender roles glass ceiling and gender-based sexism in the workplace for example and then you have street harassment threats and verbal abuse And then above that, and this is the level at which most people think is the apex of all of this, is like rape, sexual assault, and murder. So it's ultimately a part of a larger ecosystem in which 
rape and murder is the only thing that people take seriously, but it actually exists. And it's based upon the normalization of sexual violence and other lesser forms such as sexual harassment, street harassment, and rape jokes. Right now, the big issue is Donald Trump and how he has sexually assaulted women and admitted that because who he is, he feels entitled to just kiss women on the lips without their permission and grab them by their genitals. And somehow, a large majority of Republican men and women voters are okay with it. And this doesn't seem to disqualify him from becoming president. And what's really disturbing to me and to a lot of women is how this campaign has been very triggering. I think, like, my friends who are victims of sexual assault are basically, I, I just physically can't like keep up with the election anymore like this is a trigger the trick and the trigger is not the whole pa- fact that he said this and he did this but how it's so accepted he denies you know that these women their allegations are true but at the same time he says so much that supports their allegations as yeah. well he essentially justifies this by saying this locker room talk and this is just how men talk among men boys will be boys boys will be boys I guess there's two way, two things, two ways you can view the soccer room talk, right? One is that like a lot of men, and especially professional athletes, have been saying like, no, this is not how you have locker room talk, and like a lot of men are saying, this is not how men talk to men uh, to other men, and that's not cool, right? Which we can applaud, and we can, but yeah, but you want to say but yeah, know? well, no, I I wanted to say actually. I do think that is a big change, though. Mm-hmm. If this had happened maybe even 10 years ago, no. I really yeah. doubt we'd be seeing so many men in particular Decrying stepping this. out and saying, no, this is not what men do. This is not what goes on in the yeah. locker room. I know I'm an athlete. You yeah. know, we wouldn't have had that yeah. happening 10 years ago. So there's really definitely been a change. But we also but. <laughs> know that these kind of good men are not the norm and like we definitely know that men also do talk about women differently yeah this whole idea of saying it's not all men we know it's not all men (laughs) we're honestly guys come on we know it's not all men but it's talking about the culture the broader system that supports this kind of interactions these kinds of catcallings and harassments Mm -hmm. and murders this is what rape culture is about. Yeah. We know it's not all men. We're talking about the system. And we're talking about, yes, all women experience yes. this. Yes, we I do. It changes your behavior. It does. For your whole life. Yeah. And that's very upsetting because I think that is something that happens to many, many women and girls and is not something that a lot of men have to consider that something like this could happen and change your whole it, position. Right? Like yeah. I know a friend a close friend who was sexually assaulted and ever since that point she would not wear skirts anymore after dark she just doesn't want to have that experience anymore right i can understand that yeah and it's just like and you would we women would never tell that to your male friends so your guy friends think that this is not a big issue even though it is such a big issue and i think also a lot of men in addition to not talking about these issues, mm-hmm. they don't recognize that it happens because they themselves don't see it. Yes. When I go out on the streets here to yeah. go get lunch, yeah. for example, yeah. by myself or with female friends, 
the attention that I would get, the sexual harassment that I would get that is, is so just true. off the charts. But if you're walking with a guy, if I'm walking with a guy, you're good. I'm pretty much okay. There have been occasions. I was recently groped while I was out walking <gasps> with my boyfriend. Oh no! A guy came past on a motorbike and grabbed my breast, and I we were both like, "What? What happened?" I mean, it was in a dark street at night, yeah. but I was with my boyfriend, and I thought. We would be okay because normally oh with yeah. a guy, you the protection are. protection of the male. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my boyfriend is super feminist, but even he says – Doesn't see it. He doesn't see it so much. He knows it happens because he believes me. Yeah. But he doesn't see it most of the time. So when I got grabbed that night, he was quite shocked that yeah. someone would be so brazen in yeah. doing that. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, he doesn't see it all the time. It's yeah. like absolute – the difference between black – and white when yeah. I go out by myself and when I go it out with so him. True. It's 180 it's so degrees true. different. Like, I feel really uncomfortable about walking in the streets by myself. Like, you know, my, my boyfriend works on the weekends. If I yeah. want to go out and get lunch, even walking, you know, 500 meters exactly. away, no. I don't want to do it. You know, I just, I, I've taken to wearing sunglasses all the time because it feels like it deflects some of the potential <laughs> attention, you know? Headphones. Yeah, people have said yeah. wear headphones, and I said, "Well, I don't want to wear headphones because I don't want to listen to music because you don't know what will happen. I don't know what's going to be happening. I can't hear things." And they said, "No, no, no, don't listen to music. Just put them in." Yeah, and so, I thought, really, this is yeah. the extent that we're no, going so to have to go to. Like all women has thought about scenarios of how to keep themselves safe. And then most men don't, right? Like, no. this is part of male privilege. You don't have to think about how not to get raped. Like <laughs> Walking home with your keys in your hands, ready to stab someone if you needed to, and oh, walking along certain paths that have more lights and, and not taking the shortcut through the park. And this whole thing about how all women have known or have experienced this, the reason why we don't want to talk about it to our male friends, especially those who are not clearly feminist, like I think I'm more comfortable talking about this issue with my feminist male friends, is because I'm partly scared that if I talk about it, my guy friends are going to be like, oh, you're so sensitive. If you're a guy who does who has not been shared about these kind of experiences too, that means your female friends are honestly not comfortable talking to you about this because they don't trust you. And if that is true, then please actually do talk to your female friends and like have this podcast like just come up to them say look like i know this is a serious problem can you educate me about this issue in a way you feel comfortable when women talk about rape culture and talk about how yes all women feel this the baby feminist male ally uh, it's always like, oh, but I don't do this, but please don't generalize men this way. And like, one, why are you distracting from this conversation? Two, the point is, we know not all men do this, but yes, all women feel this. So what you can do as an ally is to be like, yes, I'm sorry, and call out your own male friends who do this. Your role as a male ally is to talk to your male friends to like make sure that supposed locker room talk doesn't happen. That's your position. You don't need to tell women what to do and what not to do. Like, and you don't need to be praised for doing that either. Oh so many men come out and saying, oh, but I don't do this. Yeah. I'm there a is good no man. Point. Like, like, what do you want? You want us to say cookie. thank you for being a good guy? Thank you for not being a creep. Can't you just acknowledge that 
that's something that happens and just acknowledge these women's experience and say, hey, yeah, that, that sucks. sucks. That's all you need to say. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Like, let me know how I can help or let me know if you need assistance yeah. if something bad happens. I guess what we're ultimately trying to say is that rape culture is a problem with many faces. And ultimately, there are so many things that people of various backgrounds and genders can do about it. One of the big takeaways that we have to realize is that this is a part of like this larger problem of objectification of women, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape. And then ultimately, as Kate's project exemplifies, murder. And how we really need to respect a woman's autonomy over her own life, over her own body, and over what she chooses to do in her life. And I mean, in a way, it also applies to men, right? Like, this doesn't give women the license to rape or objectify or harass men either. But the point is the fact that it's so prevalent as a woman experience talks a lot about the sexist culture that we do live in. That's why we need men to help acknowledge this problem. Yeah. That's what's going to change things. At the moment, that one of the most crucial things even is just acknowledging that rape culture does exist. Yeah. yeah. We recognize it. Then we can move forward. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. Thank you in particular to Kate for coming here and talking about her project and making this project happen. Like, it takes a lot of time and effort. As always, um, music credits to Jazzart, Ryan Little, and Bro for Free. And if you haven't followed us on YouTube, um, our latest channel, uh, you should definitely follow us. We're also still going to be on SoundCloud, but we want to... Uh, highlight youtube a bit more and also it's a lot easier i guess to listen on youtube than yeah. say like open up soundcloud or you know go into itunes and download the podcast so we're trying to make it easier for you guys to to, listen. Uh, to enjoy the episodes yeah and once again we always always really want feedback so email us at dialogicappodcast at gmail.com or send us a facebook message or comment on youtube like Kate's page as well on Facebook. And as always, uh, we'll have resources and links at our website, theologica.id. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.